unofficial Bengals podcast. Welcome to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, in this episode, we're going to talk about some headlines. We're going to talk about Tyler Boyd. We're going to preview the upcoming big matchup against the Ravens. And we're also going to talk about the Texans game. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Who day? Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. A football Sunday is just not as good when the Bengals lose. It's hard to get into the rest of the games. I mean, after the Bengals lost, I took a nap for a little bit. Normally, I'm all over the 1 o'clock games, the 4 o'clock games, the 8.30 game, the Monday night, the Thursday night, the Sunday morning, the whole deal. And in this case, after this crazy, emotional, tough loss, I actually took a little break for the 4 o'clock games and said, you know what, I'm just not in the mood for football right now. Of course, that didn't last long. I got up at like 5 o'clock and then continued to watch everything for the rest of the night. All right, so I'm not in my normal studio. I've done one other episode like this before. I'm actually down in Long Beach Island, New Jersey, the most beautiful beach on the East Coast, my favorite spot in the world. Go look it up. Go Google it and just check out where I'm at. And I know you think of New Jersey and you're like, well, that's not like Tahiti or California or Florida. I swear if you were here, you would know this is one of the best spots in the world. And today I went out to the beach. I I got off work early and I just came down, cleared my head a little bit, figured I would do the podcast. Right now I'm sitting underneath a comforter. It's like this makeshift vocal booth that I'm doing in the middle of the LBI condo. But man, I came down here. I had the whole beach to myself. There wasn't another human being in sight. And we're talking like a prestigious area, like there's million dollar houses all over this, all over the waterfront, all over LBI, and I carved out my own spot, got to kind of regroup. I guess it's what I needed after Sunday's loss. So anyway, enough talk about my personal life, but here I am broadcasting to you from good old LBI, New Jersey. All right, so let's go over some headlines. Currently, the Bengals are the eighth seed, just out of the playoff hunt, but not really out of the playoff hunt. There are five teams that are ahead of us that lead us by one game in the loss column. Don't look at wins. Just look at losses. We're one game behind everybody. KC leads us by two in the loss column. That's fine. If they want to grab home field, we'll go into Arrowhead and we'll do what we need to do. But the reality is we play all the teams that are in front of us except Miami. And Miami's going to lose a game or two. So there's no reason why we can't catch everybody in the AFC. And I know it's crazy when you're a game back everybody and you just had a bad AFC loss. But if you really look at the big picture, we're still fine. And, I mean, I'm holding on to that because I think that we're a great team. It's been a little bit of an up-and-down year, but we've been 5-4 and four the last couple years. And I really feel like we're going to go into the playoffs And you see that we can beat anybody. I mean, we beat San Fran. We beat Buffalo, which isn't really that great of an accomplishment now. But, I mean, the Browns, Pittsburgh, the Ravens, they're all within our reach. Jacksonville. Are you fearing any of these teams? The Chiefs. You know, I know some teams have a better record than us right now. But I have full confidence that we're going to get to where we want to get. 
And you know what? If not, it's still going to be a fun ride. As far as our divisional opponents, they all lead us by one game only in the loss column. And this week we're playing Baltimore, and Pittsburgh and Cleveland are playing each other. So if we take care of business against Baltimore, then they're going to have four losses. Pittsburgh and Cleveland, one of them has to have a loss. They're going to have four losses. We have four losses. So if all goes well after this week, we'll be a half game behind Baltimore and a game behind either Pittsburgh or Cleveland, and we play both of them. We play Pittsburgh twice. We play Cleveland once. I know I'm going crazy with the playoff formula, but it's all I think about all year long is just getting to the postseason, and that's the path. Don't lose hope. I know we had a bad loss to the Texans. I know we had a couple bad losses, a couple AFC losses, but we're still very much alive. All right, so I don't know what's going on this week with the injury report. I believe that Higgins is going to miss the game with a hamstring. We don't know what's going on with Hubbard with the ankle. I still haven't heard anything. I'm, I'm coming to you on a Tuesday here. I don't know what's going on with Hendrickson yet, but it is a knee. So there's going to be a couple major injuries. And if you look back at the Texans game, the Hubbard injury and the Higgins injury really hurt us. And I'll go into that more a little bit later. But I just want you to think about that. Every team has injuries. We're not going to cry about it. But those two were actually more significant than I thought, and they really impacted this game against the Texans. And as far as other injuries, Yosivash had a knee injury during the game. He didn't play much in a game where he was scheduled to play a lot, so I don't know how severe it is, but he is a little bit banged up. Cam Taylor-Britt dislocated a finger, but he still came back, had the big interception, and played strong. All right, I want to go over something before we get into the Ravens game, and I'm going to take on that first before we talk about the Texans game, is Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd's getting a lot of hate. Maybe I shouldn't follow social media. Maybe I shouldn't go on Instagram pages from Fairweather fans and, you know, Twitter knee-jerk reactions or X, whatever you want to call it. Like, I was getting really mad, and I didn't even unfollow anybody because that's really not my style, but I might start doing that. Like, how do you get on Tyler Boyd? I know he dropped the ball that would have won the game. There's a lot of things that go into a game. You could blame a million plays that are responsible for the loss, but when you're in that kind of situation and it's one of the final plays of the game and you make a mistake, it's way more in the spotlight. But, man, you can't get on Tyler Boyd. He's had eight great years with us. He's about to hit the top five in all-time receptions. He has made so many amazing plays that have kept us in games and won games for us and he made one mistake just go to your own life all right for all of you out there that are hating on him right now and you know what I know the people that listen to this show you're not that kind of fan where a guy makes a mistake and and you want him cut or you want his head on on a platter but to the people that do grow up you make mistakes like what about in your own life what about have you made a mistake in a job? Have have you played a basketball game in high school and scored two points in a losing effort? You know, like, who? no one's calling for your head for your own personal mistakes. This guy did make a mistake, but he's had very few in his Bengal career. And I'm fully behind Tyler Boyd, and you know he's only going to come out stronger and be better for this. But for those of you that don't want to cut him some slack, come on. Come on, because if if everyone crucified you for your mistakes, you'd be hurting because we all make mistakes. No one's perfect, and this guy has been pretty much perfect for his career. I know he had the drop in the Super Bowl. I know he had two drops in this game, and you want to say he cost us the game, whatever the case may be. I don't know. I'm just not from that school. I just, I just can't do that to someone. Another thing, I don't know why I'm dwelling on this stuff, but... 
the fans left after the Burrow interception, what, it was like 3.50 left in the game. We're down by 10. Burrow throws the pick, and fans are leaving. A, a couple things. I, 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 you have to pry my bloody hands from the seat in front of me to get me out of that stadium. You know, I would never leave on a Bengals game, even if we're getting whooped. And to all the people that do, don't give up on your team. Like, so what is it? Is it like... When we're winning, I'm good, and when things go bad, I don't care. Like, think about if people did that with you. Oh, you know, when you're at your best, we're on your team. You know, when you falter, we'll throw you out in the garbage. I I don't know. I'm I'm just venting on this stuff because it really bothers me. And as far as fans leaving, all right, so that's weak, in my opinion. And anyone who left the stadium, it's like, all right, all right, it's all good when we're winning. You know what? And I don't want to get on someone that I know, but I have an uncle who's a big-time Yankee fan. And he watches all the games, but if the Yankees are getting beat or losing by a lot, he turns off the game. And I'm like, what? So it's only it's only cool when you're winning. That's the only time where you can digest it. If you're not winning, if you're not winning and not doing well, then you have no tolerance for it. It's the same thing with people leaving the stadium. And regardless, I, I know I'm on a soapbox right now, but this stuff is important to me. It's it's about character, and. You know, everyone's different. Everyone is their own person. So that's the way I am. I, I'm loyal. I don't do stuff like that. And I can't just say, well, everyone has to be like me or else you're wrong. And that, that's not a cool way to be either. I don't know. It just bothers me. So let's think about this. So people buy tickets for the game, what, 150 200 250 300 wherever, whatever you're doing. You're paying, in Yankee Stadium, you're paying like 70 bucks to park. But just say, I don't know what they're charging right now at Paycor, but you're probably paying 30 plus dollars to park. You get in, you're getting some concessions, you're probably dumping 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, depending on how much you're drinking or how much you're eating. You know, you're putting all that money, maybe you you canceled on social plans because you're going to this game. So all those sacrifices, all that money, and you're not going to stay for the whole thing? Why? To, to... to beat traffic so you don't have to sit in traffic for an extra 30 minutes? Who cares? Think of all the sacrifice that you make for that game. And then, well, things aren't going well. I'm just going to leave. And, yeah, I don't know. And in this case, it burned a lot of people. Some people left the stadium, and they missed the Cam taylor Britt interception. And they missed the heroic pass to Boyd for 64 yards. And they missed, I mean... I had a lump in my throat. I was actually, I I don't want to sound soft, but like I was a little almost like my eyes were were glazing up a little bit at the end of that because it was just like this crazy, emotional, magical moment. And to anyone who just left the stadium out of either frustration or to beat the traffic, you missed out on all those emotions. Ah, whatever. You know, I'm sorry, guys. Maybe because I'm down in LBI, I'm I'm a little bit off or a little bit different from normal. But anyway, let's get back on track. Let's talk about the Ravens game. So the Ravens are currently 7-3. and three. They're in first place in the division. Everyone's calling for them to be a Super Bowl contender. They have an excellent head coach in Harbaugh. Todd Munkin's doing great for that offense. Mike McDonald's got that defense playing really well. And I looked at the rankings, and I'm not going to throw a ton of numbers. I'm going to try to make this digestible. The Ravens are pretty good with the numbers. And and let's not who cares about yards, right? Cuz you get junk yards at the end of games, things happen. Yardage isn't the barometer of a good offense or defense. It's really how many points are you scoring? How many points are you letting up? And I know there's junk points at the end of games, but let's just use that as the main thing cuz if you score enough, you're going to win. If you don't score enough, you're going to lose. 
Ravens fifth in points scored per game, first in points against per game. They're scoring 27. They're letting up just about 15 points a game. So that's a pretty big differential. Conversely, the Bengals are 18th in points, 16th in points against. We're scoring 20. We're letting up 21. Too many numbers there, but you get the gist. The Ravens, on paper, look like a powerhouse. Although the Bengals are plus 10 in turnovers, leading the league. The Ravens are plus 1 in turnovers. So let's hope that turnovers contribute to this game. All right, let's talk about the Ravens offense. So Lamar Jackson is having a near MVP season. He's running like crazy. He's got some targets to throw to. I'm not saying he's the perfect passer. He's nowhere near Joe Burrow, but he is definitely doing some damage in the air. They have a nasty run game. I mean, Gus Edwards chewed us up last time. He's a, he's a strong back, a lot of yards after contact. This Keaton Mitchell has just come out of nowhere and been this like third down speed threat. They have Justice Hill, Dax Hill's brother. They have Patrick Ricard, a pounding fullback that occasionally gets a carry or a catch, and, you know, he's dangerous in his own right. Receivers, you have Zay Flowers having an outstanding rookie season. Beckham had a nice week last week. Bateman, you know, Jory's out. Algalore had a big game against us last time. And Duvernay, more of a returner, but he can hurt you if you ignore him on offense as well. So, a pretty good set of skill players. I wouldn't say as good as the Bengals, but pretty pretty solid. And then you have Mark Andrews, and then you have Likely as the other tight end. So you have a couple tight ends. Likely's hurt us in the past. Mark Andrews is hurting everyone. So you have a lot of options for Lamar to go to. If none of those are available, he's going to take off. So your defense has to be at its best if you want to contain the Ravens and beat them. Offensive line. Stanley Simpson's backing up, but they have Linderbaum back. Zeitler's still playing well. Moses is playing well. It's a very good offensive line. It's a very good offense. It's a very sound team. Defensively, so in pass rush situations, they go Clowney, Pierce, Matabuke, and Owa, and that's a pretty strong front four. On running downs, they bring in Broderick Washington, who's not having a phenomenal year. They have two excellent linebackers in Roquan Smith, who's very good in coverage, very good against the run. Patrick Queen, we all know about him, and he's a Joe Burrow rival. Even though they played together, you know they don't like each other. Secondary, Brandon Stevens, Marlon Humphrey. And then in the slot, they actually bring Hamilton down to play the slot in passing situations. They have Marcus Williams and Geno Stone as their safeties. And like I said, Hamilton is having a great year. He's really coming into fruition. We knew he was going to be a great player. And unfortunately, it's coming to fruition, as I just said. All right, offensive keys. Get Tyler Boyd going early. Get his confidence back. Let the league know that he made a mistake, but he's here to stay. And I think that Irwin and if Yosivash plays, we're going to have to get some contributions from the other wide receivers with T. Higgins being out. The main thing, though, is turn Joe Burrow loose from the opening whistle to the closing whistle. And last week, we got away from that a little bit. He had a great first drive, and then the next couple drives, we didn't lean on him as heavily. Well, I'm going to go over all the drives in a little bit, but just turn Joe Burrow loose without fear. Don't be afraid of Stevens, Humphreys, Hamilton covering Boyd. Don't be afraid of anything. I don't care what their PFF rankings are. I don't care how highly ranked. I don't care what their record is. I don't care what they're doing. I mean, we destroyed Marlon Humphrey a couple years back. Chase embarrassed him. So have no fear of rankings and player names. 
Just play your offense. Let Joe Burrow open up and throw to his receivers and his tight ends. And also let Joe Mixon do his thing. You need some time possession. You can't have the Ravens possessing the ball and letting that offense hurt you. So you want to add that dimension into the game. Defensively, contain Lamar. Spy him if you have to. Have battles spy him. Have Logan Wilson spy him. Like, you know, kind of spy by committee. But don't leave him alone like we did on Stroud on that one touchdown from last week. You have to pay attention to this guy every down because even though he's passing more than he used to, he's looking to run first. We got to get back on track shutting down wide receivers. And through the first what, seven, eight games of the year, we were really good at that, no matter whether we were getting beat or not. It wasn't getting beat by the wide receivers. And this last game against the Texans was just crazy because the wide receivers literally did beat us. So we have to just get back to that solid coverage and make them beat us otherwise. You can't let Andrews kill you. He's that weapon. Again, just like Schultz last week, you have a third and 13, and he gets a 15-yard gain. And be aware of their new secret weapon, Keaton Mitchell. He has exploded since he's come into the lineup. He's a fastback. And he's a guy where, you know, oh, we're up 10-3, and all of a sudden this guy runs for a 68-yard touchdown down the sideline unexpectedly. So be very aware and be well-prepared for this guy because they're going to use him because he's hot right now. And the fifth and final defensive key, Hubbard Hendrickson. I don't know if either one is playing, and we're in trouble if they're not. You know, Cam Sample is a good guy, a solid player, not a game-breaker. Osai has been invisible. Murphy's been invisible. And then what do you do? You kick out Zach Carter? I don't even know what you do after that. So we're going to be in a little bit of a jam if we don't have one of those two guys playing. So that's important that Hendrickson or Hubbard can somehow play in this game and be productive. Prediction for the game, 24-23 Bengals. Call me a homer, I don't care. Three touchdowns and a field goal for us, and they have two touchdowns and a bunch of Justin Tucker field goals, and that's the problem with playing these guys. If it's late in the game, they barely have to cross the 50 for this guy to win it. There's a lot of dangerous weapons for the Ravens. It's like a rolling ball of sharp objects that you just have to figure out a way to contain or just outrace him and let the best quarterback in the league do his thing. And let's come out of here with a win, and let's catch these guys, and and let's look in the rearview mirror on all these opponents and all these divisional opponents real soon. All right, let's go over the game against the Texans. And I never know what to do on these podcasts. Like, my favorite thing is to review the games and go in depth about what happened. But I know some people look forward to the preview. That's why I flipped the order this time. But I'm going to go over the game in some detail because it was an important game and there's a lot to be learned from what went on this game. So Texans 30, Bengals 27, and what a game and what an ending. It was a frustrating game. The whole game, I was just, I don't know, I just couldn't settle in. I wasn't in a good mood for the game. I mean, I love watching the games, good or bad, it's all good for me. But actually, this morning, I was like, why do my hands hurt? And I realized that I kept slapping my hand on the counter when... Stroud dropped back and made a long pass, and there was way too many of them, so that's what happened. I promised I wouldn't hit inanimate objects anymore, and uh, although I didn't punch anything, I did slam my hand on the counter several times, and then that's why I'm feeling it in my hands. No big deal. All right, first drive. Bengals come out. 
get the ball, do what we did the last four wins, Burrow seven for eight, six passes to the tight ends, five to Tanner Hudson. We hold the Texans to three and out. It's like, oh, we're just going to crush this up-and-coming team. I know they were hot lately, and we're, but we're the real deal. And then the offense stalled a little bit. And I, I went over why the offense stalled, and I went over the drives, and I'm going to run that by you guys a little bit later, but I'm going to give some more observations from the game. So as far as some of the things that went wrong, and I wish I didn't have to talk about this stuff, but the Texans got a lot of yards after contact. We don't miss a lot of tackles, and we were missing tackles. Noah Brown. I'm going to say it again. Noah Brown. Cowboys cast off. 172 yards. He was looking like Jim Brown out there. Minimal pressure and nothing going on when Hendrickson came out of the lineup. When I saw 91 on the bench, I was like, well, Stroud's going to have all day to throw. And sure enough, that was the case. The backup pass rush has to start coming alive because you, you can't rely on one player as your pass rush. And they had way too many double-digit yardage plays. I couldn't believe it. There were, I don't know, like six or more over 20s and, you know, just a bunch. I mean, they converted a third and eleven. A third and 13. A third and 14. Every DB let up a big play at some point in this game. And, I, and our secondary is very good. And those guys, all of them have been playing really good this season. Our blitzes weren't working. Whether it was a defensive back, whether it was a linebacker, nothing was happening. Stroud is excellent. Congrats to the Texans. I don't wish them any ill will. You know, they're kind of like where we were. Remember after the 2-14 and 14 season? You know, people would see us on the schedule and be like, the Bengals, What? Everyone's like that with the Texans. Oh, the Texans, that's a win, that's a win. Well, you know what? They're not going to be that doormat anymore. And although I don't want to see them mess with us, it's nice to see a downtrodden organization like the Texans, like the Lions, like the Jaguars actually be good and you know just kind of smack that national narrative in the face. And I said it last episode, but shame on the Panthers. You took Bryce Young, who is like undersized and... He's not going to be the long-term solution. He just doesn't have the frame to play quarterback in this league. And they mortgaged their future. They gave up a one next year, a couple second-round picks. Like, they mortgaged not only last draft, but, like, at least this next one and possibly one more to get an inferior quarterback to Stroud. So, I don't know. I mean, that's not our problem, but I don't know what's going on in Pantherland. And every time Stroud went back there and patted the ball because he had so much time because they have a really good offensive line, I was just cringing. I was like, no. And sure enough, he was just electric and lighting us up downfield. I don't want to give the Texans too many compliments, but man, they're looking very good right now. And that's a team that's going to make the playoffs. We did hold them to 10 first half points, which is a success, but we got lucky on two fumbles. One they were inside the 10, and he drops a center snap, and we recover it. I mean, that's a big lucky save. And the other one, it looked like a forward pass when Hendrickson and Wilson got him. They called it a fumble. That's a little bit lucky, too. So even though they scored 10 points in the first half, it could have been a lot worse. So, you know, when you want to complain about things not going our way, I mean, that's an example of things going our way. A coaching thing, it was fourth and one. There was three minutes left in the first half. And we came to the line like we were going to go for it, but we were in our own territory, so we probably weren't. And we were trying to, like, hard count him to go off sides, which I like. But don't take the delay a game. That's five extra yards, and it makes a difference when they have an inexperienced field goal kicker. You gave him five extra yards to play with. I don't know. Like, sometimes the minor things are really important. 
like when I'm watching a game and I see a punt go in the end zone and the gunners don't grab it, it just enrages me. So something even like this, oh, it's just five yards on a delay game. I wasn't happy about that. And we took the ball first and scored, which has been our MO lately, but the Texans had that nice double dip. They scored three before the half, and they scored three out of the half, and I say it all the time. Just think about that last field goal before halftime and think about the final score. That was it right there. And you can go back to, I, I don't know, there's no, there's probably stats out there, but I don't study that kind of thing. But the teams that score before the half, a lot of times that score is the difference in the game in the final score. All right, so the game goes on. It's 2017 after that huge Jamar Chase touchdown, which we'll go into in a little bit. But then right away, Noah Jerry Rice Brown beats Awuzie for 35 yards, and it leads to a momentum-killing touchdown when Stroud had that keeper untouched, and now we're down 10 again. So you have all this momentum from one of the biggest plays of the season, and they answer you back with with a a body blow and and a smack to the face. So then we're coming downfield again. Burrow has the interception on the high pass to Sample. I'm never going to criticize Joe Burrow. I don't care. Everyone makes mistakes. We're all human. That's been the theme of this episode. All right, so nine minutes left in the game. I'm nervously watching the clock drain. Our defense forces a punt. We had a couple stops by Reader. Now we're down 27-17, 5.50 left in the game. Burrow drives downfield. And then he has the bad interception to Boyd. Probably his worst decision in a long time. I know the one in the red zone against the Ravens wasn't a great one, but that was more of a physical thing. He just didn't get it high enough. In this case, you know, he was getting pressured all game. It was a tough game. We're, we're trying to climb out of a two-score deficit. I know I'm apologizing for the guy, but the reality is he, he forced it in, made a bad throw for an interception, and that's when all the fans left. And that's when I dug in. I didn't I didn't say there was no hope. I might have slapped the counter, but I was ready. It's, I was like, there's still time left. You just never know. And then what happens? We get the Cam Taylor-Britt interception. What are the Texans doing? In that instance, you just run. It's a third and two. You just run the ball. You're probably going to get it. You've been chewing us up on the ground. And if you don't, you're chewing more time. And they got greedy, thought, hey, the pass is working all game. We're going to do a creative pass. Britt reads it, gets a huge pick. And like I said, I, I was in a daze. Like, I had this, this like, look of, like, oh, man, like, this team is just always going to succeed for me. So the Texans, after Mixon scores, the Texans get the ball with 318, and we hold them to a three and out. Huge, huge hold stop by us. And you have DJ Turner slap the ball away on that big third down. We get the ball back, down three. Boyd with the 64-yard magical run and catch. It was great. And they caught him. You know, he's an older receiver. And you have some young, fresh, you know, 4-4 guys playing defensive back. And they, they ran him down. The safety had the angle on him. So he didn't score. But sure enough, Mixon scores a couple plays later. But we're still very much alive. And then we have the infamous drop in the end zone, a perfect pass by Burrow. Boyd made a very rare error. It did cost the game at that point. And then from there, we couldn't... It was 27-27, and they had a minute and a half, and I'm like, you know what? The way this team's moving the ball, we're in deep trouble. And sure enough, Brick gets beat by Schultz. And then Noah Brown, again, he breaks a Nick Scott, Jermaine Pratt tackle where Scott couldn't wrap him up and Scott kind of knocked Jermaine Pratt off of him 
they get in field goal range, we're thinking, all right, this is a waiver wire kicker. There's a chance he could miss, and he almost did. But there it was, game over. All right, why did we lose in a nutshell? Lack of pressure, shaky protection. We lost the trenches battle on both sides of the ball. You're not going to win the game if that's the case. No Higgins and Hubbard definitely hurt us. Too many chunk plays, a ridiculous amount of chunk plays. You're not going to win when you're letting up double-digit plays and having them convert on third and impossible constantly. And, of course, the Tyler Boyd drop. All right, let's quickly roll through the individual performances. The Joe Burrow throw to Trenton Irwin down the sideline is a throw that very few guys in the NFL could make. It was perfect. It started the game. It just felt like, man, this is just going to be a blowout. Beautiful throw. He had the rollout throw to Chase, and we talked about this last episode as far as like rolling out and throwing on the run. Now, if you're a righty and you're rolling out right, throwing on the run's not easy. It's going to sail on you, but it's even tougher rolling to the left. What does he do? He squares his shoulders. He throws it 40 yards in the air while rolling left. Chase improvises on the route, and we have this huge 64, 60-plus yard touchdown. And then he had another big rollout throw to Irwin in the fourth quarter. He had a bunch of dimes to, to Tyler Boyd during the game. And he had the unlikely win in a game that we had no business being in. He brought us down for the winning score, and, you know, Tyler Boyd did drop it, but Burrow kept his body language. How many quarterbacks are, like, putting their hands on their helmet getting mad, being demonstrative, acting disappointed. He didn't do any of that. It, it didn't happen, and he was cool. He went to the sideline. He's not going to show up his guys. That is a true professional and a true leader. And another cool thing about Burrow, we're down 20-7, to and he gets this huge 16-yard scramble for a first down, and he didn't do the double-finger point. He didn't celebrate. You know, that's that's just coolness. You know, like, I think a guy in the Giants did it. They were down, like, 28 to nothing, and he scores a touchdown, and he over-celebrates, and it's like, what are you celebrating, man? Is it is this about you, or is this about the team? The escapability continues. He had the spin move on that one play where they hit him after the whistle, and but it was only because he, he wasn't going down. Just the calmness in all capacity, the calmness under extreme pressure. Try going out there. And having these world-class athletes who could knock you out with one hit bearing down on you constantly and still remain calm. It's just incredible. And even when he goes to the bench, he's not getting all mad. He's not. He's just chilling and just like, all right, you know what? Next drive, I'm going to get him. The toughness. I mean, after he got Orlando Brown thrown back into him early in the game, he limped a little bit. I was like, oh, man, don't tell me the calf's hurt. And he showed no signs of the calf being hurt after that, but I don't know. And then he had that quarterback draw late in the game where he got slammed to the ground. I mean, just cool, calm, collected, and tough. That's Joe Burrow. All right, let's quickly rifle through the offense. There's not a lot to go over here, but Hudson is now our go-to tight end. And it doesn't matter where you came from, whether you're a waiver wire pick. It, it just matters how you play when you're here. You know, Irv Smith was our big tight end free agent. Tanner Hudson was a guy on the practice squad who most of us didn't know his name or thought that, oh, well, that's an easy cut. And he's our guy. So you, you just when you get your opportunity, you play and you shine and good things happen. And I am so proud of this guy. And I can't wait to keep track of his career. And I hope they keep him around for a couple years. Mixon running hard as usual, doing everything that Joe Mixon does. 
Jamar Chase playing her 100-plus yard game, that huge touchdown. He plays big in big moments, and that's the sign of a champion. Burrow plays big in big moments. Chase plays big in big moments. And Higgins plays big in big moments. And Hendrickson and Wilson and Pratt and Hill and Reeder. I mean, I can go to and McPherson. I can go down the list. Mixon, but especially Chase and especially Burrow. Irwin had the nice touchdown, which isn't an easy catch. I know it was a perfect pass by Burrow, but it's hard when you're running that fast down the sideline. You have a guy in front of you, a guy behind you, and you got to just concentrate and pull that in, and that's exactly what he did. He had that nice catch in the fourth quarter on the Burrow rollout, and he got assaulted in the return game as usual. He got tackled by the neck on one, and another one he just got lit up, and this guy just shows toughness, and this is he's our guy. He's a Bengal, and hopefully he's a Bengal for life. Offensive line, Kappa had a very rough game against Sheldon Rankins, and Kappa's been our best lineman, and this was his worst game of the season. Orlando Brown had a rough game. I thought Volson was solid. I thought Jonah had another good game. He stacked up a couple, and I thought Karras had a good game, even though he let up an early sack. And speaking of sacks, let's talk about the sacks. There were four of them. First one, you have Karras and Kappa double-teaming. Kappa leaves the double team to help out on a late blitzer or a late rusher, and Karras lost leverage and lets up the sack. Second one, Kappa got beat by Rankins, just clean. Burrow escapes it. Rankins gets back up. We need a little more hustle there, Kappa, even though you're my favorite. You, you should have stayed on your guy, cleaned him up, but Rankins gets back up and gets the sack on Burrow. Third one, Orlando Brown just purely beat by Greenard on a third and five on the Texans 25, a killer sack to let up. That's why I'm saying that's one of the reasons why I didn't think he had a great game. And then the fourth sack, Kappa just blown off his feet by Rankins, and no one gets the best of Kappa. He's been playing so well since he put on the stripes, and for some reason this game, Rankins had his number. And... You have to watch out now because the Ravens are going to be watching film on that and the Steelers are going to be watching film on that and et cetera, et cetera. All right, quickly, let's run through the defense. I thought that B.J. Hill had another very good game. Hendrickson had a good game. He had the sack, the forced fumble, a bunch of pressures. Reeder had the fumble recovery, a couple nice run stops late when we needed him, a couple pressures. But I thought overall it wasn't his best game, and you wonder if he's trying too hard against his former team, and that happens. Sometimes you get that revenge game where you're just electric, and sometimes you get that revenge game where you're trying a little too hard and you're a little out of character. And I thought that was this kind of game for DJ Reader, although I thought he had a good game anyway. Cam Sample had a huge pressure on the Brit interception. He was the guy who pressured Stroud into throwing it early or throwing it inaccurately, and Britt had that magical heroic late interception all right and as far as the negative on the defensive ends joseph osai i just can't anymore i can't he lost contain on that double reverse really badly like embarrassingly just no field awareness i don't care if i'm getting on him joseph osai is a liability he's invisible on the field this has to be his last season as a bengal miles murphy you know he's a rookie i've been giving him the benefit of the doubt but He's been invisible, and I don't have a problem with that while he's getting his game together. But what I do have a problem with is on one of the rushing touchdowns, he got blocked by Noah Brown. He got blocked. He's a defensive end getting blocked by a wide receiver and being partially responsible for that touchdown. Like, you think a wide receiver is going to go out and block T.J. Watt or Trey Hendrickson or Miles Garrett? 
Murphy, you can't let a wide receiver take you out like that. So I don't know, guys. Watch the play that I'm talking about, and you can get mad with me. But like I said, I don't want to get mad at our guys. Britt had the game-changing, game-saving interception. He injured his finger, but he still went back in prior to that. He was giving up a little too much cushion in this game. I'm not sure if it was a zone defense-related thing or just him backing out on coverage, but that was burning him a little bit. But he's having a great year. I have no complaints about Cam Taylor Britt. DJ Turner's turning into my favorite. That's going to be the secondary of the future. I'm going to say it every episode. You know, we've had that history. Leon Hall and Jonathan Joseph, Jones and Kirkpatrick, even though a lot of fans don't like Kirkpatrick, Parrish and Riley. You can go back, Spencer and Ashley Ambrose. It's just been a, a rich history of corners. And I think the corners of the future are going to be Britt and Turner. And Turner did have a good game. And he had that big pass defense at the end of the game. Yeah, he let up a big play, but every guy in the secondary did in this game. Awuzie had a really rough game. I don't know if that knee is acting up, but it was not his best game as a Bengal. Dax Hill has been playing excellently, and I thought this was his worst game of the year. And then Nick Scott, everyone's calling for his head. I, I don't know. It, I'm just going to go into the, the facts. It was a rough game. He was exposed a lot. He had the broken ankles play where he fell down in the backfield he wasn't effective in the box. He had the one diving attempt at an interception. Tough catch, but he didn't reel it in. And then he missed the tackle on the game-winning yards after catch by Noah Brown. And I, I'm tired of saying the name Noah Brown. I might never say it again. So what does this say to us? I don't think Nick Scott has had a bad season, but it says that maybe we need to get Jordan Battle a little more time. I think Battle had 16 snaps, and Scott had the rest of them. So maybe we need to even up that ratio a little bit and, and let the rookie get a shot out there at least after a game like this. But I'm not one to say, hey, you had one bad game. I'm selling you down the river. I really don't think that Nick Scott has had a bad year for us. But I would like to see Jordan battle a little bit more. Special teams, McPherson with another 50-yarder, just stone-cold killer. Just whatever you need, that guy is going to give you. I think Robbins had another good game punting, his second good game in a row. Hopefully the light has gone on and we got ourselves a long-term punter. And Stanley Morgan, I missed him. He plays with so much intensity. He was all over the place. I know he had the penalty, but it's nice to have him up as a gunner, and I hope that continues throughout the rest of the season and into the playoffs. All right, there's never enough time because I like to keep the episodes fairly digestible. And, I mean, if you let me go, I'll go for two hours talking about this stuff. So I'm going to go into key plays, and I'm just going to – I always do this. I'm going to rifle through them quickly because I don't want to make this episode long and make it an effort for you guys to listen to. I hope it's not that anyway. Irwin touchdown. You have trips to the right, Irvin wide to the right. Chase and Boyd do kind of like long outs, and Irwin just keeps going on the fly. Chase draws a little bit of attention because anytime he's on the field, he's drawing attention. He was on that side. Burrow places it perfectly to Irwin. Great protection on that. A great catch and an out-of-this-world throw. The chase touchdown. Second and 12, down by 10. Things are getting a little desperate. Trips left, Irwin by himself on the right. No one open on the initial look. Jonah and Brown block. They hold their blocks, but then they lose their blocks because the time is, you know, you can't hold your blocks forever. Burrow scrambles to the left. Chase runs, he's running like a, a an in. And he sees Burrow in trouble and just cuts it upfield. That's those intangibles that you just can't coach. You can't game plan. 
That's why these guys are like a perfect matchup together, and it's a perfect pass. Burrow puts it 40 yards in the air, moving the opposite way, and of course, no one's going to catch Jamar Chase. Then our last touchdown, a series of events. It's third and two for the Texans. They get greedy. It's 341 left on the clock. I said they should have tried to run the ball, run out the clock a little more. We get pressure by Cam Sample. Stroud forces it in. Britt reads it perfectly, gets the interception. Tank Dell, the little speedster, catches him from behind, but it doesn't matter. Mixon scores a little bit later. And the play that Mixon scored on was a draw from the shotgun, so that was nice to see, too, running effectively out of the shotgun. And then the last big play was the Boyd long catch, 64 yards. You have trips on the left, Chase on the right. So now they're paying attention to Chase. That leaves a mismatch with three guys on the other side. Boyd just does a deep slant. Burrow hits him in the middle of the field. Boyd high points it. He has the angle on everybody and just cuts and runs down the sideline and almost gets it in the end zone. And then we all know what happens from there. And then a little extra bonus. Why did the offense stall after the first drive? See, it's not always what you think. You think, oh, we didn't play well. It's just a matter of a play here, a play there. So I broke down those drives after we had the big opening drive. So on the first one, we started off with bad field position. We did take three plays, get a first down, then Mixon has an 11-yard run, so it's looking like we're going to have another great series. And then we have two hits on Burrow. Karras gets beat on a third and seven. That drive ends. The next one, bad field position again. We had two running back passes, one incomplete and one that didn't go anywhere. And then we threw a nice slant to Chase. And again, we're, we're like inside our 10 at the time, and Chase is just short of the first down. So, you know what I mean? It's, it's in, in all this case, it was like those two drives. It was a hit or two on Burrow and two running back passes that didn't succeed. It wasn't like this huge failure. Third one, Mixon has two runs for eight yards. So you got the running game going. It's a third and two. And then we have the incomplete to Tanner Hudson on the sideline where he couldn't get to two feet in. It was a little bit high. So again, two nice plays there and then one not nice play, and now you're punting. The fourth one, we had a one-yard pass. Then we had a sack. It's third and 14. He gets it to Chase again, but Chase gets 13. The fifth one was the kneel down at the end of the half. And then the last one that was an unsuccessful drive, Boyd got one yard. Then Boyd has the drop on the second play, which would have went for a big play, and then there was a sack. So if you look at it, it's it's not like this tragic failure on all fronts. It's like you have a couple good plays, and then you don't convert on third down. Or you have a penalty that sets you back, or a sack that sets you back, and you don't convert. So it's not like, you know, for six drives we were absolutely useless. There's just a couple factors that go in. It's a fine line between winning, losing, converting, and not converting. So that's it. I know this was a little bit of a crazy episode. Like I said, I'm out of my element. I'm kind of in paradise right now. I'm in the mood where I didn't really pull any punches. I hope you enjoy the show, and I hope you're going to enjoy the win on Thursday night against the Ravens. That'll do it for this episode. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music. Definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.